everybody. Welcome back to What Would the Smart Party Do? Uh, tonight we're having a, a free-roaming discussion where we might roll a d10, look at the result, and see what the subject's going to be. Uh, Gaz is in charge of random tables tonight. So, uh, so Gaz, take it away, mate. Where are we going today? Who knows? Wherever the dice take us, Baz. What? Uh, I think we've, 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 talked, we've talked too much in the past about these big hardback books we can't be bothered reading and things like that, about preparing for games and the hours it can take. So how about tonight we have a look at some random tables? Uh, a good friend of mine, Raphael Chandler, has written several books on this sort of thing, so I've grabbed a bunch of them just to get an idea, and what we might do is roll some dice against them and see if they come up with interesting things, and then we can talk about if that's a cool idea or not. Well, maybe think about it whether it's cool or not first, and then roll. But I think it's probably better to roll some dice. Yeah, let's start with the theory, and then then see if an experiment bears it out. How about that? Oh, good. Yeah, no, I like it. Let's do it that way. All right. So, so what is That's the why theory? You're in I know. Yeah. Well, you'd like to think so. Uh, our, our theory <laughs> over the past what forty-five podcasts has been that three hundred-page setting source books are starting to do our heads in a little bit, and and. We've often said that no game suffers from too much pace. I think we might be the theory might be do settings and source books never suffer from too much pace? And can we get something that's got plenty of juice in it and you can flick open a couple of pages and start getting something out of it straight away without having to do a degree? Yes, quite. Although I think there's an element of if you're doing it might just be get the juices flowing, do you know what I mean? If you can just get some ideas, it's getting those nuggets, getting those little seeds of ideas going in the first place. You can still spend some time pondering and coming up with your own stuff or doing a bit of background reading if you really want to. But it's just getting that initial uh, sprout, I think, is probably what you need. And if you have to wade through a lot of old for history to get to the bits that you think are interesting or might sponge an idea out, then that's probably wasting a bit too much time. So I want to start with good stuff, if we can find it, uh, and then grow from there, I think. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I, I've always said for donkey's years now, and I see no reason to change my mind on this, so don't even try. <laughs> but, um, you only really buy game books for two reasons. Uh, one is for ideas, so inspiration, stuff like that, stuff to get you thinking and excited about playing, um, and or someone's done the mechanical dog work for you. So they've done all the heavy lifting and they've statted stuff out. And if you can get both, happy days. Now, I, I think that's not necessarily a majority opinion because there's, there's a big school as well that quite happily will just read a book because it's good fun to read, um, which yeah. I've, I've done it. And I think, you know, fair enough, um, you know, Pathfinder Adventure Paths would be a great example of that because although they do have loads of good ideas and mechanical heft, they're often just, you know, read like a subscription magazine with, with no intent to use. But really, hmm. uh, I've, personally, I, I've always wanted to get something that I couldn't have done for myself. And that's, generally speaking, going to be ideas or stuff I've, my time is more valuable than the money I'm going to spend on it, which is all of that mechanical heft. So that, those have always been my favourite sorts of books. And um, it's a rare book that delivers on both of those at a decent price, I find. Well, um, well until recently. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think the other thing you could do, if you're using some tables or you've got some uh, things like that, or they seem a bit bare, what can be good about that is that you can take you down paths you didn't necessarily want to go to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember from being a kid and you wanted to roll up a fighter in D&D and then you rolled like, you know, three strength and 18 wisdom and you're like, well, I guess I'm a cleric then, even though I didn't want to. Yeah. And you kind of got to free yourself a little bit and go, well, what I'm going to do is roll the dice first and then find out what I'm doing from that. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, spoiler alert, there's no harming re-rolls if you really want to. The gaming police aren't going to come around and arrest you. So yeah, I think the, the other thing you can do if you've got these little sparks of uh, inspiration rather than going through the big uh, heft of reading through big stuff, like you say, uh, it can often take you down paths that you hadn't thought of. Because uh, mm. the trouble with stuff that's too much planned out or it's got too many words around it, it can kind of lead to a certain thing that you know, the Knights of the Rose are this organisation, they do this, and they come from this place. And before you know it, you kind of got to learn a lot of stuff about a particular faction or a bit of the world or something. Whereas if you keep it quite light, it might just spring ideas to you. Think, well, what are they about? And are they a faction? And do they have allies? Or, you know, who's at the heart of these people? And I think more and more for, for me in gaming these days, it's more about asking questions and discovering through play and gaming about what what it all means and what the deeper layers are, rather than trying to, you know, layer it all out in advance and then remember bits of it afterwards and perhaps getting a bit wrong mm. yeah it's it's been the the curse of trad books for as long as i can remember 
has been the whole idea of being paid per word. Um, and back in the day, yeah. the idea of being a writer used to be that you would just generate content. Um, and I think one of my favorite examples of that is my all-time favorite game of Earthdawn, which I, I love to Correct. death, but absolutely suffered from supplement bloat. And some of those supplements mm. were quite simply six or seven great ideas, which arguably you could get from the back cover or the contents page. And then you could just sense the writers were told to deliver a thousand words on that, whatever that is. Like, this is the dwarf clan who are um, very uh, curious about things. Uh, so I have a thousand words on that. Mm -hmm. And this dwarf clan don't like them, so they're in opposition. Thousand words, please. When, when actually all you needed was potentially a, a, t a table of 10 different sorts of dwarf clans with a snappy sentence next to each. And that would have been enough to play with. And then your table would be colouring in the yeah. game instead of replaying an encyclopedia. Now, that, that might be quite an old example, yes. but, but I, I think it is still true um, in some games and in some lines, definitely, that, that you just feel that the publishers feel the need to generate source books and that those source books won't have any worth unless they're a good couple of hundred pages long and exhaustive. But exhaustive means exhausting, I think, to me these days. Yeah, I think I might have to start writing points down. I thought about five things then while you were talking, which is <laughs> what should happen Put when you table when you read a page of <laughs> read a page of a role playing book. That's what should happen. You should be spinning loads of ideas. But yeah, silly from Earthdown point of view, it, it wasn't written um, as bullet points. But Serpent River, I remember the source, but had every paragraph I read, I had a cool idea about yeah. or you know they gave something to me without having to go into exhaustive detail. Whereas something like the Thrall book you mentioned with the Dwarf Clans and stuff was just dull. It was basically on a word count. It must have been. Hmm. And I think the trouble is with those those old style books. It is like you say, it goes out to a freelance author or something. They get a bit of a, a brief. They've got a book for reference, and it's right, you know, right. However many thousand words on this subject, and we need it by next Wednesday. Thanks very much. So it just gets churned out, and it doesn't have the same nuggets in it, which is a bit of a shame. Um, yeah. Oh gosh, gosh, I can't remember the four things now. That's quite upsetting. This is the problem with getting old. That's why you need a table and it written down or a list or something. But, uh, yeah, I think one of the disappointments can be like I remember again going to the old old times, uh, but original like RuneQuest two, mm. and you had uh, you just got snippets of the world, and you got told about these god learners and uh, other things that happened in the god time, or you know. Or just like little bits, and you're kind of like picking through the big rubble and getting Ballistor's axe, which was the axe of a great hero, but you didn't really know much about him. You had to like get what scraps of information you could, and that was all really interesting and cool. Uh, and the more recent sort of Glanthus stuff, where it's extorsive kind of encyclopedias and things like that, I just can't get into it. It's not as interesting. Mm. And, and quite often, when you get these supplements that come out after the fact, the bits that you were told about in the initial source book or the initial rule book or whatever it was that sounded cool, when someone actually writes it out for you, just aren't as cool. You know, you just think, well, oh, we shouldn't tell me all this now because it's not as it's not as good as I thought it was in my head or what I imagined yeah. it could be. And I think that's the key point is that when you get the crux of an idea, your own imagination can take it somewhere cool for you because you've got certain preferences and whatever else and what you think it might be. Mm. And if someone has to spell it all out for you, then it's their version of the thing, and it's probably not going to be as good or as tailored to you personally as what you can come up with yourself or with your friends or whatever. Mm. Yeah, I, I've, advice I've often given in the past is um, is with Eberron, which is a massive D&D &D setting, uh, kind of the poster child for third edition. Absolutely huge. You know, I've got volumes and volumes of stuff on Eberron, and I love me some Eberron. It's great, um, but I do feel a bit painted in by the exhaustive detail of it which might sound like a strange thing to say, but what I mean is if somebody asks me a question about a town uh, or an NPC or a faction, I know that the answer is somewhere in that library that I've got, so I feel less obliged or less free to make something up or to say to them, I don't mm. know, what, what do you think? What what would be cool or or things like that? And, and that's a bit of a shame. So weirdly, um, my favourite Eberron book, was one that was released really, really late in its cycle. And it was it was slated at the time because it's nothing more than a pamphlet, essentially. It's a hardback pamphlet if you can get your head around such a thing. There's only, <laughs> there's only about 30 pages in it. It's Is that a clipboard? So yeah, a little bit, yeah. And uh, it's called The Adventurer's Guide to Eberron. And all it is is really big, glossy pictures with loads of little sidebars on it. So it looks like a magazine. 
And uh, each double-page spread is about a big thing in Ebron, whether it be um, the factions or the dragon-marked houses or artificers or, or the big war, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and loads of really cool art. Um, and it was just designed as essentially a brochure. But I've always thought, and you can get that for a quid, by the way, on eBay. It's as cheap as you like. That pound is yeah. a pound well spent if that's the only thing you buy and then strap Savage Worlds or Fate or even D&D to it um, and and tell yourself to never buy any of the other books. And within three sessions, your Eberron won't look like anybody else's because you, you've got to start from the same starting point and then off you go. And if you've got the self-discipline to not read the massive splat books, I bet you'll have a great campaign and certainly no worse than the one that's been expertly studied over the years. Uh, and I think that would be great. And, and I, I've... I wish I did that with more games. I'd have a smaller library, but more gameplay. Yeah. No, that's, that's very good. Um, do you know what? I've got the uh, the book. What's it called? Ooh, I can't remember the name of it. Someone, I'm sure, will write in and tell me afterwards. Uh, it's one of the ones for uh, either The Strange or Numenera. I think it's The Strange. Mm. And it's got, it's like Worlds Without Number or something like that it's called. And it's just got a bunch of different worlds. And one's basically Star Wars with the numbers filed off. And one's kind of one where uh, the Nazis won uh, and now they rule the world kind of thing and all that kind of stuff. Uh, But actually from reading it, or parts of it anyway, because I couldn't get through it, all you actually need to know is the section headers. Mm. And and the rest of it doesn't really give you that much. Yeah. So spoilers and everything, but the one where the, the, the Nazis now rule the world, there's not actually anything in it about about what goes on. It gives you three department heads, or apparently at loggerheads, uh, and it gives you like a picture of some cool tech of some like zombie mech thing, uh, and that there's a resistance. And that's basically it. And it's kind of like, well, mm. I kind of made all that up myself. Or you can watch Iron Sky the movie and come up with all kinds of other ideas about, um, you know, Nazis living on the wrong side of Mars or something like that. I don't know. It just doesn't seem to have any content. So that the words around it, it's like, you know, one word's too many, a thousand's not enough. There's just... They put some effort into it, but not. You know, I'd rather have had, like you say, a sort of sixteen-page pamphlet, but with a hundred of those ideas in, or a thousand, mm. or whatever. You know what I mean? Or pick three words, one from each column, and that'll give you your idea for your game. I think that would have been a much more useful resource than the kind of you know, here's a you know, here's three people who are department heads in the future. Well, great. I'd rather read Father on the novel, or watch the Man in the High Castle, or something like that. You know, there's, there's tons of other resources you can get this sort of more detail from. So if you're not going to give it a proper treatment, then keep it as light as you can and just give you the inspiration away, I think. Mm. That's how it should work for me anyway, I think. Yeah, it's taken me decades to work this out, but I always thought that buying pre-published stuff like that strange book was going to save me some effort. Um, But actually, counterintuitively, perhaps it doesn't. Um, It's, I'm not, you know, I'm not the greatest inspiring plot maker. I really struggle sometimes to come up with ideas for games. That's kind of why I buy books, I suppose. Um, but I can, mm. but I can run most things. But um, it doesn't save you any time at all. It, it it takes you longer, I would say, to read through a Pathfinder adventure and internalize it, and maybe take notes and have a look up some of the rules in it, and maybe make your own crib sheet of the NPCs in it, than it would be than it would do to just read the back cover of it, get your game of choice that you know, look at your PCs, and then just start. I, I reckon it would be quicker to do that, or even quicker to just get a blank piece of paper and maybe just jot down a few ideas yourself and then start rolling for inspiration and see what comes up. Um, because I don't think it saves you any time at all. Um, uh, quite the reverse, in fact. So um, I've got millions and millions of books loads and loads of published adventures stuff like that which I all bought with the express intent of saving me time and inspiration and only rarely have they ever done so yeah I, th- I think you're right I've done the same sort of thing I've had more fruitful evenings sat watching a, a DVD series or you know reading a novel with a book uh, a notepad to one side and writing some notes down than I have from some role playing games it feels like homework almost doesn't it when you've got a big mm. fat book with loads of canon in you yeah. feel like you've got to get it right like you say you know when you know the answer's out there and you, you're risking coming into a game with someone else who knows what the right answer is and you start making stuff up mm. that there's going to be some kind of disconnect there or whatever else and you kind of want it to be a bit you know there to be a sense of very similitude or to get a, everyone buying into what the the story is mm. so um, I think that's the only real sorry go on the, the only thing I was going to say was that um, when you're making stuff up yourself 
or everybody knows that you're kind of just rolling on tables, you're making things up. There is a bit of an element of you all know that it is just made up, mm. right? I mean, all the games we play are made up. We're one way or the other. Either someone else did and wrote it in a book and you bought it, or you do it yourself at the table, or whatever else. But it's kind of trying to keep in keep the belief alive amongst everybody, I guess, that this is all uh, it's all painted in. Anyway, you're just discovering it as you go. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So you don't need to stat out an entire city of every single shop and make sure you know the shopkeeper's name and how many kids he's got and things like that. Mm. But you just need a way of it instantly turning up when as soon as they walk through a door and they're expecting whatever, an armorsmith, that you've got access to a name and you know what, you know, the stats for some weapons are and things like that. Mm. So as long as you've got the you know, kind of like the tools behind it to give players what they want, and uh, you kind of Wallace and Gromit laying the track out just in front of them, I think that's fine. It just requires everybody to buy into that mindset of Okay, we know some of this shit's going to be made up. We just don't want it wavering the faces that we're making it up, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think the theoretical term for that is illusionism, um, which I'm all for. Oh, okay. I've used it all my life. Uh, I suppose something like you know, Dungeon World would be a pretty good example of that. You, you know it's going to be largely improvised, but, but improvised by everyone, um, and everyone's got a responsibility to bring something to the table. And that's super cool. No issue with that at all. Um, but I think what we're talking about here is, is is maybe not even a middle ground, but it's the idea of um, give me a box of Lego bricks and an idea of what to build with them rather than give me a box that you can only make one thing out of and you've got to follow the instructions A to B to C to D all the way through. And you'll, you'll probably have a really nice looking pirate ship or whatever it is at the end of it and it'll look just like on the box cover. But what you really want is is the ability to to pick up some cool little brown um, Lego bricks and a couple of little orange ones and two green ones and go, this is a really cool monster. Um, but for it not to be, not to have taken so much time that you had to completely generate it from scratch, you just want to like fire off that inspiration and have the tools at your hands ready to assemble stuff quite quickly in response to whatever whatever your table needs at the time. Um, and I, I love that kind of stuff. And and I, I think what we're, we're getting towards here is like, you know, where do you get that good stuff? And and for me, the answer it tends to be in all of the OSR stuff um, that you that is you know, almost freely available, really. Um, and I suppose because it is OSR, there's still plenty of it knocking around in the original old school games of which I'm going to sort of start with my example of Traveller, the really original Traveller. Do you remember... All of mm. those little booklets you can get with like 101 patrons and 101 worlds and 101 starship cargoes. Yeah, yeah. See, I never used those, but I always wanted a complete set. And I was always too nervous to just plonk them down on the table and go, let's play Traveller. And everyone buy into that and go, yeah, cool. All right, ro- roll some stuff up. Where, where do we start? And then just see where it goes. But I bet loads of people used them all the time, didn't they? Yeah, they must have done. I mean, I remember getting Traveller before they existed. Mm. I just, just sat there with a box set, just thinking, I don't know what to do. I tried playing with a couple of mates at school. I was just, I don't actually know what to do for them. There's, that, there's just no inspiration in the box, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, some of those books would have been great just to flick through or roll some dice on to find out what was going on and give me an idea. Mm. So, yeah, they were there. I think, but yeah, you know, back, back in that time, we kind of felt like you had to follow adventures and things, don't you? Or I did anyway, certainly when I started out. There's a little element of like you play an adventure that's that's what you do and someone else has to write it because it's clever and yes. you know how on earth would we know how to do such a thing you obviously need to employ a professional author to to craft such a thing so that then we can follow it yeah i definitely did it's only a little bit I later always, on i kind of realized yeah i always bought the core book the screen usually for the game and the first published adventure that came out for it and and i would use that as my template and often that was amazing you know um played donkey's years long games of warhammer fantasy role play based on that good choice um, Call of Cthulhu always had awesome adventures. Great choice. Uh, you weren't short of modules for D and D, so you know there were plenty of them around and and relatively inexpensive too, because um, you know you read White Dwarf and it always reviewed really good adventures and and it was full of other people's adventures. I I, I really didn't feel the need to write my own stuff for Donkey's Years, but of course all the people who were writing those adventures were just like you and me. <laughs> but they just decided yeah, to write it down, exactly. and and they were they were dreaming it up from you know just inspiration and and reading like you know nineteen seventy sci fi books and 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 weird comics and stuff the same way as we do now. And it's taken me an awful long time to come round to the idea that that you know that was always a possibility and and would have been 
would have been stuff that I kind of owned the IP for in my own head. And that, that would be a nice thing to say. Yeah, yeah. For sure. I th- and I think we're now in a better place, aren't we? Certainly in terms of like self-publishing and all the rest of it. People feel they can put stuff out there. There's, I think back in the back in the day, as we keep saying in inverted commas, there was the idea of professionalism and that there was you know, the Olympics of role-playing and people who were these uh, doyens. But actually... You know, we're all just geeks who've been writing stuff. I mean, some people are good authors and write better than others. You know, it's that. Mm. but it's not a barrier. The barrier to entry it once was. You know, we're all just playing around games, uh, and even people like uh, George R. R. Martin did a campaign, and then he wrote a series of superhero novels based on basically what he would have been playing. And Glorantha, that uh, that setting I mentioned earlier, that's basically just some games that Greg Stafford was playing in his caravan in Dakota or something, mm. wherever he's from. You know, basically, it's all just people. Messing about pretending to be elves and then writing it down. Yeah, but what I what I quite like now uh, with the stuff that we're seeing from the OSR or from Raphael and, and and all the good people who are putting out amazing content is they're not just having a single good idea and developing it to the length of a supplement. Um, you know, just sure. polishing and polishing and polishing and and over explaining and exaggerating and blowing it up until it can't even sustain its own weight. What they're doing instead is is essentially brainstorming onto the page and just having six or seven cool ideas and just dumping them and then moving straight onto the next one. And and instead of coming up with like, you know, here's the plot for my dungeon, it's like, here's on page one, here's six reasons this dungeon could exist, of which you've only got to like one and you've got your money's worth, but you probably like four. <laughs> <laughs> and it, yeah. there's no sense of like um, self-editing. It's like, let's get it all out there. And I think that's great. And, and how many times have you heard people say, you know, I have, I have too many ideas to run them all. Well, do you know what? I think it's quite a revolutionary idea. It's just dump all your ideas on the page and offer them up as possibilities. I think that's pretty cool, actually. Yeah, yeah, and it's certainly good from a, a GM point of view as well, actually. I think that's something that, you know, some GMs get jaded or don't want to have to put the work in or want a bit of a surprise themselves. You know, they don't want to have to be the, the sole provider of entertainment, so to speak. But so... If you can introduce elements where something surprising will happen to you as the game goes along, or you go in a direction that you hadn't thought of previously, I think that's all, all grist for the mill, isn't it? It's mm. all uh, all quite interesting and helps. As you have little ideas or something springs up that's unexpected, it, it fires more cogs in your own brain, doesn't it, about what else the potential could be or what why that might be or what else that could link to and that sort of thing. So I think yeah. that all that helps having lots of different ideas and then just picking good ones are the ones that stick. Mm-hmm. Uh, is great, but also like dropping ones that don't work. Yeah, um, I think we've all been at one point or another at a time where you spent, you know, hours and hours crafting a campaign or a few series of linked adventures or whatever it is. And after you know halfway through the first session, you realise your players aren't interested; they aren't buying into this great idea, or don't find it as interesting as you thought it was. And you kind of need to let it go if you put too much effort into it, or you've gone too far down a path. It all feels like it's wasted, but mm. if you've got some backup ideas and lots of other stuff you could take, you know, your adventure down, then a lot better for everybody. Really, it saves you the heartache of you know spending too long trying to bring your magnum opus to life when actually you don't know if anyone's going to be interested in the first place. Yeah, no, that's correct, mate. Yeah, so yeah, as sheer inspiration, um, we're kind of loving uh, loving some of the new content that's coming out, um, format wise. Uh, most of this stuff I still see on blogs or on the internet and occasionally is like pay as, pay what you want PDFs um, mm. and there's loads of those around as well none of this stuff is pricey is it I mean you are getting an awful lot yeah. of of ideas for pence or less than pence which you can't complain about at all um, and, it, and it can take up a bit of space on your hard drive and no more so um, there's no shortage of this stuff people are just spewing ideas out everywhere especially if, you, if you're in your fantasy gaming um, although there's stuff available for everything, um, yeah, there's, there's loads of it. You you can't move for the bloody stuff, can you? No. Uh, and I suppose to an extent, it's finding finding the good, the stuff in inverted commas. But it really just comes down to what clicks for you. There's some uh, some authors or the way they write or the the sort of ideas they come with, they're going to click with you, and some that won't. But yeah, um, yeah like as you say, when it's dirt cheap, it's a couple of dollars to get a PDF, or it's pay what you want, or whatever else. It doesn't hurt just to have a bit of a fish around and try some things out for less than the price of a cup of coffee and, and see what sticks and what doesn't. You find a, the sort of group or genre or authors that you like, spend a bit more with them, you know. Yeah, 
I mean, but you some, can try it before you buy almost, can't you? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, yeah, some some of it's some of it's not great. When it there's a, there's a glut of uh, of products you can get on RPG now or drive through, like you know a uh, hundred tavern names. Um, and, all right, it might only be a dollar, but you probably didn't need a hundred tavern names actually. <laughs> Being realistic, <laughs> you, know, you, you probably only need yeah, one or maybe a- two. Um, and when they're Google all like English you know, pubs, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like roll on this table to get you a color. Roll on this table to get you an animal. Oh, look, you've got the blue cheetah. Well, well done. But well, there you go. I've saved you a quid, everyone. You can have that as your next pub. I'm, I'm thinking about stuff that's you know really, really inspiring. Not just not just a wandering monster table. Those have existed since day one of the hobby. Uh, but just you know where every line is is something that will either make you raise your eyebrow. Um, and go, oh, that's interesting, or scratch your head and go, oh, blimey, I'm not quite sure what to do with that. Um, but but always, always going to excite the table and get them to want to poke it, because that's the point of content. Content is, is there to be poked, interacted with, instigated, possibly even killed and had its stuff taken, but just just there to, <laughs> not just there to go, ooh, and move on. Um and and that's the best of the content that I see, and there's absolutely loads of that about. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I think one I've just been reading through Obscene Serpent Religion, which uh, Raphael wrote, which is stands for OSR, obviously, mm. is a tongue-in-cheek reference. Uh, but that's about a, a serpent cult, basically. But but what I would like about it is it doesn't really tell you what it's not. Uh, for example, like a White Wolf's Black Book would be about a particular uh, discipline or cult or whatever. It's just like loads of roll on this table, roll a d6 and find out what the tenants are or what they're after or what right you have to perform if you join or something like that. Mm. And I like this a little bit fluid. And you can either use it by flicking through it and working out which ones you like that sound of, or you can surprise yourself a bit and roll some dice. Uh, but I think the good bit about that is it, it's just got uh, quite a few different ways in which the cult could be uh, about its business. Because uh, you can get sort of like one-dimensional or two-dimensional about things. If you think, oh, it's an evil cult and they worship mm. serpents, so that these are the ideas, and you kind of fall back on your old Conan days. I remember Set and, and some of the bits from that, and it can become a little bit cardboard cutout. So I mean, some um, different or weird ideas, because most religions, let's face it, in real life are a bit odd. Oh, we've, yeah. got, we've got weird ideas about, you know, whether there's one God or many, and if um, a wafer turns into the, the flesh of a demigod or whatever else so uh, having some of those weird and wonderful ideas in there which you probably won't come up with yourself is it, quite useful in making the, the cult seem quite quirky mm-hmm. but to the, the cult themselves it's obviously deathly serious and uh, you know real life or death stuff this is what you follow and you have to so I, I like the way it doesn't give you uh, complete strictures on this is how my version of this thing would be what it does is give you lots of ideas for what could, what a cult could be about? It doesn't have to be serpents. To be honest, it could be anything if you really want to be TV. Yeah, but um, it's that kind of um, giving you the clay a little bit, like you say, those Lego bricks. It is within a certain channel, like you are making a baddie cult basically, hmm. but it's giving you lots of ideas about what they could be about. Yeah, and what I really like about that is, at first blush, you think, well, blimey, if I'm rolling a one d six on all of these tables, I'm only going to get to use eighteen percent of this book. <laughs> Maybe it's just me that way, but uh, <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, when it comes down to what are this cult all about, three or four of those entries could be absolutely correct, depending on who you're asking. So you're yes. always going to get more mileage out of it because depending on whether you're asking someone who's antagonistic towards that cult, or someone who's favourable, or someone who's just heard drunken stories, they could all be true. They could none of them be true. You could just keep ladling it on, uh, and your players are going to start lapping it up. Um, everybody likes that kind of thing where you've got like a that makes it almost like a puzzle to unravel the truth Uh, and those are often behind the best of games no matter what the genre is you know what's really going on here tends to be the best plot hook of all doesn't it Um, and when when even as the gm you might not know because it's not written down in stone that's quite exciting too because you can just go where the flavor is taking you uh, and you head towards excitement and interest rather than resolution and boredom um, and if you've got multiple options at every single branching point in your scenario then everyone's along for the ride and that sounds like more fun than not yeah absolutely and there's nothing stopping you having a religious schism and the two different groups you've all yeah. got their ideas about what the serpent goddess <laughs> wants 
Yeah. And stuff that's true today isn't necessarily yeah. true next week if you're going to bother to go back and like brew healing potions for a week and be dull. <laughs> Everything could be different. There could be a revolution. Hail There's a new high priest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is which yeah. is super, super cool because you know, that we we have moved on from keyed locations where the high priest um is basically motionless with his wavy dagger in the air um over the, the sacrificial victim <laughs> on the altar until you kick the door in and then they activate. You know, it's kind of nice to have them moving about <laughs> and doing their own stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Last thing you need is that naked sacrificial victim saying, "Will you get on with it?" Or can I put my clothes back on because I'm bored now? <laughs> I'm freezing because <laughs> the party are busy. I'm having a, like a twelve-hour healing surge or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, get on with it. Yeah, but I mean, that does. You know, that that's what it's for, isn't it? These things are all kickers because um, anytime you want to roll the dice, especially if it's mid-game, you you are kind of setting the tone at the table that something is about to happen, um, and and even something as simple as a nice wandering monster table. You, you know, it was an interesting piece of game tech when it was invented way back. It fell out of fashion for ages, but I always quite liked it because if people are just faffing about too much, you get out your dice and you roll it in the open on the table and everyone just has to perk up because, you know, something's going to come through that door, even if it is just a strange smell. But more likely, it's going to be something <laughs> that you're going to have to interact with. Um, and that's cool. You know, it, it just provides forward momentum. And if you, as the GM free yourself up from having to like flick to page 15 in your hand closely handwritten notes and instead like you know roll on your d10 table um that's really good uh because you know just slapping down those train tracks one at a time in front of you as you go at full pelt can be quite exhilarating it's like fell running but with d20s <laughs> yeah quite buzz we have a title yeah it's good i uh... <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's wandering monster tables are one of the things we've kind of everybody's sort of stepped away from, aren't they? They feel a little bit like yeah. encumbrance or you know fatigue wheels and stuff that people dispense with them as those one of the baggage from the the bad old days. But actually, they were there for a purpose, and that was you know too much dicking about, and something turns up. Or it, if they were written well, you had a set of wandering monsters or encounters for that particular area, and they were different mm. for each one, and depending on where you were. You were more or less likely to see city guards or green slimes or whatever it might be. Yeah. But if, if they did well and you used them properly, they could be like, these are the sort of things that keep turning up in this location because of X. So if it is a serpent cult, then you are more likely to see a, a you know man swallowing python turn up or whatever it might be. Mm. And if then things are hanging about and just you know it makes the the background live a bit. I think the difference is again, as I sort of alluded to earlier, is don't make it really obvious. You know, are we stopping here for four hours? I have to roll four times on this table now to see if anything turns up. Mm. just use a bit of narrative around it you can still use the table just dress it up a little bit uh, and act like it was something that was going to happen all along you know well I always quite like pre-rolling on my wandering monster tables which gets us back to the point of this this episode I suppose you know Um, if I've got like a I know that the guys are going to be doing a jungle expedition it's all a bit Indiana Jones but it's fantasy because that's my kind of game I can always do a couple of rolls sometimes you know only 20 minutes before the guys rock up um and it might be D3 goblins, and well, that's a bit dull, so I roll again, and the next one's like a saber-toothed tiger. And one minute later, I've got half of an encounter prepped, which is three goblins with a saber-toothed tiger in a net, you know, poking it with yeah. spears. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's something to come across, and that's like, you know, two rolls of a D20 and 10 seconds of thought. And, you know, it's never going to be a classic of the, of the genre, but... I guarantee I've had hundreds of encounters like that where after a, after a bit of interaction, one of those goblins has got a name, um, the saber-toothed tiger turns out to be some kind of shape-changed wizard, and it's become like <laughs> the entire bloody plot for the night. And that's great. Yeah. You know, you look up from your notes and you realise you've not turned a page for the last hour, but everybody is chomping on the scenery and, and pushing to get their say. Um, that's That's really nice. So... I quite like even even the dullest of tables, which are there to inspire you. Try try a couple of rolls and blending the results, and that that always throws up something of interest. Yeah, good point, Buzz. I like it a lot. I, Definitely. Um, um, I was uh, oh, doing. Thanks. I was doing a bunch of stuff for a couple of years back. Now I was sort of writing for Thirteenth Age, a system I really really like, and it inspired me to write up a whole bunch of stuff. And I thought, I'll go with the flow of 13th Age, which is like a half-baked kind of setting where most of the 
the hard bits are in there, but the rest of it is fairly fluid and you can fill it in yourself and you can reskin and all the rest of it. Um, and I had loads of trouble sort of like picking from various ideas. Um, I knew I wanted to have like an imperial fort, but I couldn't pick from about half a dozen sort of ways of representing that. So I remember just building it into a table instead and saying, you know, roll on this table and pick one of these. And that, that funnily mm. enough, that became easier and easier to do as the game went on. Um, and I ended up, you know, backing up the, the work with a bunch of uh, random tables that were 12 entries. No, they were 13 entries long, but I said roll a D12 on them. No one ever figured that out. No, no one ever asked me what the 13th <laughs> entry was for, but I was trying to be too clever. Anyway, the point was that I'm, I'm happy to report, like, about 2,000 downloads later, I'm sure not every person who downloaded it has run it, but no two groups will have run it the same. Because if they genuinely did, even mm. pick or roll, after about the second or third encounter, they would be totally different from each other, but they're still playing the same scenario. And um, yeah. I was just really pleased with how that turned out. And and clearly some of the results on that table are going to be of less interest to some people than others, but they're all a bit unique. Um, and you, know, you get the game you want out of it. And that's before you chuck in the variables of what characters people are going to pick and how the GM is going to you know, reflavor some stuff. But, you know, the idea of being just less precious about your content and more more happy to to throw everything at the wall and, and literally see what sticks, uh, see what the mm. people are interested in and then just go with that direction. It's a bit terrifying if you're used to published stuff, but it's also really liberating um, and exhausting too, but in a good way. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the, the other things that I've kind of forgotten about or discounted in the past, uh, like reaction tables about whether someone's oh, yeah. going to be hostile or friendly or neutral, all that kind of stuff. And that got abandoned along with encumbrance rules and all the rest of it. But more recently, I've started warming to them again as well. Because mm. you tend to have a preconceived idea as a GM of what a particular NPC is going to say when a player turns up mm. and whether they're going to be helpful or not. And you assume barkeepers are going to be helpful if you pass them a silver coin or whatever. But uh, I'm getting a little bit of fun actually out of rolling to see. And you might just get a silly bartender who's had enough of your shit. Signotype before, every time you come in, the furniture is ruined and there's a bar fight. So he's not interested and just wants you out of his pub or whatever. <laughs> but, you know, just, just make, you can, that's surprising yourself in terms of like, okay, they're going to go to this guy for information or this guy for something else. We're all to see what the general disposition is or what their reaction will be to someone. Mm. That can, you know, if, you, if you're too prepared for a, um, an encounter, it kind of leads you down certain paths as a GM. Whereas if you give yourself a bit of a, well, I don't know. How is he feeling today? What sort of mood is this person in? It can give you a little bit of um, a free on yourself to act in a different way and go, you know, I'm going to make it hard work or easier or something else, you know, just based on, again, I did that random element for yourself as a GM to make it a bit more interesting. You're not massively changing the plot, I think, but you're just giving it a little bit more of um, spice, I guess. Yeah, definitely, because, you know, even the best of us are going to struggle to to think up on spec a fully realised deep three-dimensional NPC who's really only going to be in the scene for a couple of minutes because you're buying some healing potions or or chartering a starship from them. Um, but it would be nice to have some colour in there. And I, I think, you know, three rolls on three little tables will take you 10 seconds and can generate, generate enough to be going on with. It gets you a hook. It gives you something to say. Maybe even just gives you a clue as to how to portray them. And then bang, you're on. And, and they're disposable because you can always roll on other tables later on and and you know and and as you keep saying mate you can you can just totally jettison the results if you don't like them you're no worse off than you were before you rolled the dice are you so you know you can always just retreat to that right. if you want to you know there, there's literally no harm no foul um and it, and it can absolutely spice it up and just give you a little bit of a crutch uh, because i don't know what it is but but players rarely seem to complain when you dice for stuff they seem to be quite happy to accept, you know, even if it, yeah. even if you then drop six dragons on them. Well, that's what the dice said. So you know, it's not me; it's the dice. Even though you might have written the table or chosen to ignore it and pick a different result, <laughs> they believe yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's why. Whatever you do, roll dice for the sound they make, and then <laughs> tell the player yeah. something. Yeah, it's not your fault. It's just what the dice said. <laughs> uh, yeah, too true. Yeah, cool. I like I like random tables, mate. It's um, they they are harder to read if you're sitting there having lonely fun and you've bought your supplement. If I'm reading through um, a rule book or a supplement and it's got loads of 
of really cool random tables in it. I don't just sit there and read them from start to finish. Funnily enough, I don't know why that is. Maybe I want I want to be surprised. But you know, even the uh, even the fifth edition player's handbook for D and D has got a really good table of a hundred interesting trinkets, and you roll once and give one to each character. I've never sat down and read all hundred. I must have probably generated a hundred characters by now, but I rolled randomly for every single one, and I quite enjoyed yeah. looking them up without knowing what it was and it, and if I hit one that I'd hit before I'd go up up one or down one so um you don't get the you don't get the bibliophile bit of sitting down and starting on page one and reading all the way through I don't get that out of them they they do have to kind of be used you need to get your notepad out and your pencil and open up the open up the book and you've got to roll some dice to get the most out of them it's um it's something we did when we did the playthrough of into the odd um that yes. was way more fun by rolling than it was by reading, I thought. Did you get the same vibe, yeah. mate, or did you read through all the charts because you're like that? <laughs> Sometimes. I think that's the way you've got to approach I think the way to read those books, in inverted commas, is to roll on the table a couple of times. And if it's a yeah. D10 table, roll a couple, or a D20 table, roll three, whatever, and just get some ideas and then skip to the next table and have a look at them and just roll some dice. Mm. Uh, but I think that really is genuinely the way to approach those books, is even if you're not doing anything with them, just roll mm. some dice and look up some entries on the table. Trying to read them all, they'll just seem like a list of stuff and you, you very soon glaze over because you're not really, you know, you're not really taking it in. It's just... No. Uh, there's uh, no narrative, is yeah. there? It's not like reading a novel. Exactly. There's none at all. It all comes from them being seeds. You need to plant them in the ground and warm them a little bit. So just roll some, roll some tables and make up your own stories as you go along a little bit and then do it all again. But that's that's the way to approach it. Don't bother trying to read them you know, word for word or you wonder why you even bother buying it, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. no, too true. No, but I, I remember very much liking uh, reading through the bit at the back of Into the Odd where it's got a whole bunch of extra tables and just reading the titles of the tables. Um one of the tables is what's down that dark alley and it's like cool yeah. now i know that table's there i'm definitely going to have a dark alley crop up in my next <laughs> game and i'm just desperate yeah, to exactly, say what's yeah. down it so you know I, I think i think the random stuff like that is really good is i've got little time for like a table of um uh, 20 different humanoids you could meet but i've got loads of time for like uh, 20 different humanoids who will fight you in an arena or you know, it's got to have a little <laughs> bit more to it than just list of content because yeah. I've already got a monster manual that goes from A to Z. It's got to be like you know situational. Maybe that's the way to put it. You know, um, stuff that yeah. could kick in your door or um, you know uh, potions that will explode upon exposure to air. That's the kind of stuff I like. Yeah, I think you're right. It's going to be mostly the stuff's already well covered and, and there in your internal narrative already, and that you've already got. Uh, loads of images of old TV, films, comics, books, all the rest of it. So standard stuff you've pretty much got on tap anyway mm. yourself. And it's hard to be surprising with it. It needs to be something that's got a little bit of an edge or a bit quirky. And I think that's where the OSR gets a lot of its fans from, is the the, the fact that things are a little bit strange or weird or odd or out yeah. of the ordinary. They just make it a little bit more, you know, spicy than normal. Yeah, yeah, too true. Yeah, I mean, the OSR have absolutely cleaned up on weird stuff. Um, and I quite like it for that. I think that's pretty cool. I think sometimes weird for weird sake can just be weird, which is a really obvious yes. thing to say yeah, yeah. <laughs> on its own. Thanks for spelling it out, though. <laughs> yeah, I need it to be useful as well, not just confusing. <laughs> Quite. Yeah, cool. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, I grab one of these books. Do you want to just roll some dice or make a number up against them, and yeah. we'll just read out all the entries and see if they're um, interesting or not. Yeah, cool. Yeah, let's we do might, it. What have you got? We might defeat. Let's defeat our entire podcast in one fell sweep here. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, one of the books I've got is uh, Roll XX or Roll Twenty, I guess it is, which uh, Raphael did with a bunch of the people. Spoiler alert, including me. There's a page of mine in there, so we'll avoid that one. Because <laughs> um, yeah, I know what's going to happen. But uh, it's got a bunch of genres in there. So there's like fantasy, supers, modern, uh, sci-fi, horror. And there's just a bunch of tables. Okay. So what's what's your favourite genre, Baz? And we'll just have a look at a couple of tables and see what comes out of it. Uh, I, I'd tell you what. Do fantasy or...? Ooh, I, normally I love a bit of fantasy, but I struggle with sci-fi. So I wonder if sci-fi tables will help me uh, get some inspiration and some seeds. Sure. Sounds good. And I've got the Starship from Hell, another one of these books in my back pocket, should we need it. 
<laughs> so um, yeah, D twenty. So we got D twenty on you. I don't you have any in your house, do you? Or you can just pick a number between one and twenty. <laughs> do I, I have any D twenties? Good lord, I live in a D twenty. <laughs> it's it's like something off of like you know Amazing Homes on Channel Five. Um, <laughs> trouble is, I, I the architect put the one on the top just to piss me off. Right. Anyway, so uh, do I have a D twenty? Uh, I'll pretend I do, and I've just rolled a six. A six. Okay, so the starship that you're in, or this is about, I don't know, is Hammer of the Emperor, Anestus the 11th of Saturn. Oh. Okay, so I'm thinking so uh, of 40k immediately springs to mind, <laughs> to be honest. It does, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, which is um, fine. And, and does that sort of, I think that sort of like fits in your idea of um, what you don't want is a list of starships that are cruiser, scout, uh, merchantman, whatever. Yeah, having yeah. something like Hammer of the Emperor and then naming an Emperor of Saturn for all things that helps you out. Well, I'm I'm thinking that you, you've probably because don't forget this has got to happen at real tables, right? So the, the the joy of this is I'm probably set up to play a sci-fi game, and my my group, my buddies, have probably all got a a starship crew, and they're on some kind of trader because that's standard. And then one of the very mm. first things I want to do is I want to give them something to interact with. So I'm thinking uh, they get hailed by a ship, so and like an emergency beacon. And then I know the first thing I say is, All right, well, what is it then? What is this ship? And one roll later, that's the answer. Um, and, and now I'm interested to know why are they hailing this ship? Is it going to be aggressive? Is it going to be just a friendly hello? Are they going to get boarded? Is it just like an old beacon that's been going for like 5,000 years and it's a space hulk drifting in space? I'm already thinking, I have no idea what's inside the ship myself. And if I'm interested in GM, as a GM, I know the players are going to be interested. So it's it's already getting the cogs turning. I need a couple more rolls to make it come to life, I think. But that's good. Sure, definitely. I think there's some kind of anomaly. But what kind of anomaly is it, Baz? Oh, well, let's roll to find out, my friend. <laughs> Uh, he rolls. Oh, eighteen. <laughs> well, it's going to be interesting. It's a tear in the space-time continuum. Well, of course it is. <laughs> okay. But I don't, know, I don't know what he's saying to you. To me, that's saying something like this could even be uh, a ship from two thousand years ago, or two thousand years yeah. in the future, or you know, something like that of that nature. Yeah, I think it's just. Is it hailing you across time, time, even? You know. Yeah, I think so. It's just it's it's coming out of this this space rip, um, a bit like in the rebooted Star Trek. Uh, that had a big old spaceship coming out of a, a sort of a rift in time and space. Yeah, I quite like that. Yeah, so um, yeah, I'm immediately thinking that it's not a space Hulk, but it is something from the distant past um, or the distant future. Um, but they don't know that they're in the distant past or future. It's all relative, isn't it? So there's going to be a nice old time mashup when the when the two crews collide. Sounds good. Uh, give me another number. Uh, okay. Um, oh, no, not much less this time. Fifteen. <laughs> Do you know what? I'm going to take my own advice and I'm going to say a reroll. I don't like it. Oh, fine. But okay. uh, for the starship. For the Starship Passengers, I got a board of directors and I'm not feeling it from the narrative we've got already. So give me another number. A board of directors? No, no, that's not right, is it? And let's dump it. Let's jettison that and get straight onto something else. Um, okay, uh, three. Three, almost. Xenobotanists en route to a conference. Mm. Oh, Dinobotanists. D- no, see, what my, my advice would be to our uh, imaginary um, GM is probably just dump the second bit of it. Like xenobotanists yeah. sounds like it could be useful en route somewhere. Correct. A conference doesn't sound likely, but um, to something else. I mean, I don't know. I'll let you give your answer after. I'm sort of thinking now that these could be people who've come through the, this rip or the continuum or whatever to grab our plucky crew because they want some samples to take back to wherever they're from. Yeah. So they've come to get some of the indigenous peoples to like stick in their zoo, grow up laboratory, or whatever else, perhaps. Mm-hmm. I don't know, something like that. Yeah, yeah, uh, and I'm I'm going with that, and also spinning off slightly laterally because I do want to use the last part of the sentence. Um, the conference is the name of a shadowy faction of uh, crime lords and collectors across known space, and that's where they're heading oh, to nice. is to liaise with the conference, uh, and that's like your bad guy organisation straight away. 
Oh, that's very good, Beth. Well done, you. Well, I like well, that. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks. I mean, the proof's there, isn't it, mate? It, that's that's plenty. So I suppose, um, I suppose back in the bad old days, uh, somebody would have taken three ideas not dissimilar to the roles that we've just made and made a sixty-four page softback supplement out of it. <laughs> and 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 I suppose our point yeah. is: Do you need the other sixty-three and a half pages? Or should they just be like, <laughs> roll on these tables and then the other pages are just blank line notepaper and you fill it in as you go with your table? That would be really, really cool. And then you should stick it on a cool. blog with some extra stuff that you've spun off of it so that other people can use it for their inspiration. Yeah, exactly. I mean, just, just to sort of quickly whip through some of the sort of table headers to give you an idea. Uh, there's things like there's a xenomorph on the ship, but where? Yeah. Um which I think could easily be a table of, but what is it, or something like that. Um, what happens when you fire up the ancient terminal? Oh, Why do you want to escape? You know, that kind of thing. Why do you need to land? Yeah. Know, where did the bounty hunter flee to? So there's, you know, there's, there's bits like that that's kind of... Uh, yeah, I don't know. You could just push something forward, can't you? If people are dawdling about too much, searching around a, a space hulk, if that's what it was, for example, mm. it'd be easy enough to roll on a table and go, well, yeah, there's something else in here with you. Mm. You don't know where it is, or that kind of thing, just to add extra bits of spice as you go along. Yeah, so so breaking that down a little bit more, the process there is is quite intuitive for for role players because it's it's basically a bunch of cool questions with loads of potential answers, and those answers are nice mm. and flexible, and the different answers will spark off of each other. But questioning and answering is is the activity you take part in when you're at a, a trad game table with a GM and players. Most of the time, it's mm. like, what what can I see? But generally speaking, you're looking for better questions than that. And by putting people in decent situations, you're going to get asked the question. And you can either pre-roll your answers or just get some inspiration or just just the very act of you naming some of those tables is, is firing off my own ideas without even looking at them. So it, it might be that the key to a really good inspirational table is the title of the table itself, because those are really yes. good questions. And and they, they also make me think of some of the moves that you can do in Apocalypse World games as well. So, you know, when you do this, you are rolling on a very short random table of, of things that can happen as a result of it. And I quite like that. Um, but yeah, that's that's really inspirational, mate. Just the questions on their own are, are worth asking. Um, and, and the answers are almost secondary. And I think, yeah, it is good for starting you off. Um, I've just been flicking through as you've been talking. Obviously, I've been listening intently, but also reading this book. <laughs> <laughs> um, in, the, uh, in, in the horror section, for example, there's a table which is what's under your skin, and then a list really? of all kinds of things that could be under your skin, which makes sense for a horror game, which I reckon just on one of them could start you off an adventure. Do you know what I mean? Definitely. Like, you start off at this convention, and you've got this under your skin. What do you do about it? There's your starting mm. point. Um, but equally, it's quite flexible. That you could imagine that you wanted someone who's a bit of a freaky NPC. There's something off about them, and you don't know what it is. Well, roll into this, and you find out there's actually whatever parasite under his skin or something like that. Mm. You don't have to reveal that to the player straight away, but it gives you an inspiration for why you might have a weird NPC that the players interact with at some point or something like that. And I think that's that's the sort of if you keep it simple enough, but with a uh, you know enough different little ideas quite punchy then you can use them for a variety of purposes yeah yeah i reckon yeah for sure okay mate so so recommendations then that stuff you've been uh, you've been using tonight sounds really cool that's uh, uh rafael chandler's stuff which is i think pay as you want at the moment he's just he's just putting all of his stuff up for basically free if you want it and worth chucking dollars at yeah. if, if you want to um have you got any other recommendations, mate, for good content? I've got a few things I use religiously. I think the other uh, one, if you're into sort of D&D type stuff at all, is Vornheim, which yes. is uh, Zach Smith stuff, which is uh, basically if you want a fantasy city and don't want to map it out, use that. Uh, and it's got a cool bit to it in terms of, I think it's the inside cover. Um, you roll a D4, but you're actually supposed to make the D4 land on the page and then where it lands on the page and the number add up to something that's, you know, that comes out the back of it and things like that. So it's actually a functional artifact as well as having lots of interesting things and cool tables like what do you find on the dead body in it, which, you know, let's face it, if you're playing D&D style game, people are going to want to loot through bodies. So it makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
yeah i've got that that was on my list too that that is that is literally inspirational stuff as city source books go and, and i've read millions of them that one is definitely unique um but definitely is going to be your own after half an hour of play which is a neat trick if you can pull it off and it absolutely does uh get it get it in physical format if you can um because you're right mate that some of the dice drop stuff is awesome and, and a pdf doesn't really do it justice although it's workable um Stuff I'd recommend, uh, I'm going to struggle to remember the name of the fella behind it, but The Dungeon Dozen, I think, is a blog that is still going. Um, and, and all it is, is, is like every day, it's a table of 12 things. And, you, and um, it's always incredibly creative, and just the titles alone are enough to be going on with. Um, and and that, may, that may be out of date, I'm not sure. I've not looked at it for a little while because it was starting to do me head in with this too many ideas to play with so i had to stop looking because there was too much going on but but check it out I mean, you probably know about it already dungeon dozen i think it might be by jason schultis i may even look that up while you speak mate what else have you got okay yeah um there, there's a guy who's on g plus and stuff like that he's got his own little blog um called dyson who does um he does maps really they're like old scale old school tile style maps and he did do a bit, I think, at one point where he had little tiles and you could get them randomly and stick them together and make a map out of them, which was cool in itself. Uh, but yeah, on his blog, he's got um, a random table section where he's got a list of about 20 different things where he's linked off to um, other bits and pieces about different subclasses or mm. uh, stuff to do with, you know, basically D&D style games, pirates, buccaneers, beggars, brigands, dragon breath, stuff like that. So there's things like that. Uh, another one that's... Um, down with the kids, if you're into Reddit, I, don't, I try and avoid the place, but if you go on Reddit and look for D&D random tables, there's um, plenty of collections on there where people have got together, like, I don't know, about 50 different random tables they've collected together and that sort of thing. So mm. even just a quick Google search saying RPG random tables soon gets you, like, a load of stuff that you can yeah. mine for, for ideas. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. Um, so jumping back in time very slightly mate, I've done my research and it is indeed Jason Schultis and uh, his website is still up and going it's called The Dungeon Dozen um, and just for kicks and shizzles I'm going to look at the most recent one on there so I have a table for you to roll on mate you're going to need a d12 it is the incomprehensible one. activities of beetle ghosts so hit me with a d12 <laughs> and I shall tell you all about them i got a 10 10. Uh, beetle ghosts remain silent and invisible until the party draws near and then suddenly appear, claws raised, screeching out ferociously, taking reactions for a moment and then emit peals of terrible insect laughter. Which is, <laughs> which is, which is all you need to know. Fab. I'm, I'm pretty sure the party is still just hit with their axes, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's a it's a perfect example of sometimes these things are just cool scenes to have to to really you know put the flavour into what could otherwise be a fairly dull corridor, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, quite. And 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 why not? Um, some of some of the stuff that you'll get off of all of the resources we've talked about, you kind of have to interact with. But it's it's not just monsters running at you because that's that's too easy to do. Sometimes it's something that's that's bizarre or needs to be investigated or needs to be solved. It's it can be all kinds of stuff, and, and and often it's just a little bit of read aloud to make everybody smile. And there's nothing wrong with that because yeah. it's taken up none, none of your own brain space. You've you've rolled and been surprised yourself. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely worth having a bit of a, a look around it. I just had a quick uh, quick scan then where, as we were talking, and like Steve Jackson Games do um, tables of dungeon um, treasures, but they're like ten right. ninety nine for a PDF. Uh, huh. You don't need to spend that, people. <laughs> there is like now we have the internet. There is virtually unlimited resources out there of people yeah. coming up with ideas and writing tables for them. Don't worry about that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, right, cool. So there's a couple of recommendations. Um, I, like most people, could do with a guide through uh, through the blogosphere um, because so much of this stuff is is freely available with a bit of searching. Now, I'd love to hear from people about what they use. Um, and uh, where the best stuff is at so uh, as usual if you've got stuff send it in to us uh, through various ways uh, through our website it's always good um, smartcarty.wordpress um, and you can get us on the twitters and you can email us and all that shizzle but yeah I'd love to hear some more stuff 
Yeah, definitely. If anyone's got any stories of uh, things that came out from Little Seed and uh, a large garden blossomed from this uh, lowly sprout, <laughs> do do let us know. Or, yeah, as Bass says, any other resources or things like that or any blog spots to give a shout out to, more than happy to uh, spread the love and share the gaming goodness round. Cool. Right. So that's it for this week then, mate. So until next time, we'll say bye-bye. Goodbye. Yeah,